Thanks for tuning in to the Lake Forest Church Podcast. Lake Forest is a community for people who have given up on church, but not on God. If you'd like to learn more about our churches in Huntersville, Davidson, and Denver, North Carolina, you can check us out online at lakeforest.org. And uh, it was great. Uh, Some friends here at church uh, gave me the best birthday gift I've received in years. Uh, and I can say that because my family was in the first service and they're not here, this one. Uh, but it was so awesome. It's a, it's a refrigerator magnet uh, that I brought in to show you guys today. It's called, What Would Jesus Wear? <laughs> I love the subtitle on this, Jesus of Nazareth's Mix and Match Magnetic Wardrobe. And my kids have been loving this. We've got it up on our fridge, and I brought it with me today so I could show you. Uh, so it, it's just so neat. You know, ba- you've got basic, well, not naked Jesus, uh, basic Jesus. Make sure Jesus stays clothed there. You've got basic Jesus, right? And you kind of expect, but, but you get to pick what clothes he wears on any given day. And so you can dress him up as hippie Jesus, if you like, right? Got a little tie-dye shirt there. Isn't that kind of cool? Like, hey, what's up, Jesus? And then, Or, you, you know, if you feel... If you're feeling festive, it's, you know, May's right around the corner. There's, there's a little hat. You can have Cinco de Mayo Jesus, right, for your chips and salsa party. That'd be awesome. Uh, but I think my personal favorite is um, hip-hop Jesus, 1980s Run DMC hip-hop Jesus. Uh, there he is right there. And, um, you know, hip-hop Jesus would not be hip-hop if he did not have uh, a ghetto blaster. So it comes with a little ghetto blaster. Yeah. You remember the Adults, remember we used to carry these around like iPods with speakers on our shoulders, right? It's a wonder we can still hear today. Uh, But just really cool. And my kids have been loving this. And and what's so neat is it comes with all these different accessories, like sunglasses and hammers. even has a little bread and and wine cup. But my favorite accessory is the WWID gold chain necklace. What would I do? Pretty good, huh? Pretty good. Uh, but all these accessories gave my kids some creative juices, and so they decided to come up with their own version, and they came up with this. They call this juggling Jesus. Yes, he literally has the whole world in his hands. I'm sorry, that's as good as it gets today. Let's pray and go home, right? Uh, well, it's fun, fun to joke. I hope that doesn't lose, uh, lose me my job uh, this Easter, but uh, just so fun. Uh, in all seriousness, I camped out this year in John chapter 20, and we're going to get to that in a minute, but as I was reading the scriptures, really just praying and meditating on them, I, I noticed something I'd never noticed before. I, I really was drawn into the clothes that Jesus actually wore. Of all the clothes that Jesus, we know Jesus wore from the eyewitnesses, perhaps uh, the, the most important, perhaps the most uh, significant, perhaps the most interesting are his grave clothes, the, the linens that were physically wrapped around his body before it was laid in the tomb. The very same grave clothes that were left in the grave when he rose from the dead. Now, for a lot of people in our world today, uh, and maybe this is you, a lot of people think, you know what, this idea that Jesus rose from the grave, that, Aaron, that just seems a little far-fetched. Like, I'm okay with Christianity where it's, well, God is love and let's be nice to people. Like, I'm okay with that. But are you really asking me to believe that, that a man died and came back to life physically? I mean, that's just a little bit far-reaching. When you're dead, let's be honest, Aaron, you're dead. Game over, right? All the toys go back in the toy box. 
Uh, it's like the Lion King tells us. It's just the circle of life. An animal eats a plant. That plant then gets eaten by, uh, I mean, that animal dies and becomes fertilizer for another plant. That plant grows up. A rhino eats that plant. That rhino dies and fertilizes another plant, right? In one way or another, we all become rhino food or rhino poop. Circle of life, right? That's kind of, dead means dead, right? And maybe that's what you believe, and, and you would have some good reason. And in fact, uh, the truth is, that's what most people in Jesus' day believed too. We can tend to be a little bit uh, snobbish about kind of our modern sensibilities. We think that people in the ancient world were more gullible. They were not. When Jesus died, they expected Jesus to stay dead. They were not expecting an empty tomb. And on Friday, when the eyewitnesses saw Jesus hanging on the cross, and they watched, by the way, as a spear was thrust into his side and blood and water flowed, they knew it was over. They knew he was dead. They knew this was the end, but they had no idea what was coming next. Now, the Gospel of John is really interesting. John tells us that there were two men, two secret disciples of Jesus, a guy named Nicodemus and another guy named Joseph of Arimathea. And these two guys, you know, normally when someone died on a cross, people wanted nothing to do with him. The Romans would take the body out after they would take him down and they would, they would discard, literally throw the body on Gehenna, that word, the trash dump just outside the city. But Nicodemus and Joseph, they, they came to the, the leaders and said, listen, can we have his body? We want to prepare it for burial. And that's exactly what they did. Jewish burial customs in Jesus' day were a big, big deal. It was a way of grieving. It was a way of honoring the person who had died. So they took the body, and and John tells us they they wrapped it in over 75 pounds of spices, myrrh and aloes, to counteract the decay and the smell and the stench that would set in in 24 hours. And they used strips of linen around the body to hold the 75 pounds. Can you imagine how much linen had to have been used to hold all those spices and aloes to Jesus' body? But then they did something quite distinct amongst burial cultures. They would take a single long strip of linen, which was very costly, and they would wrap the head in its entirety with a single strip. They did all of this on Friday. And because Sabbath was the next day, Saturday, they laid his body in the tomb, hoping to have a chance to return to finish the preparations to honor the death of Jesus. But then Sunday morning came, and Mary, Jesus' friend, shows up at the tomb and discovers something quite shocking. Jesus' body is not there. She freaks out. I mean, she can't hold it together. She runs to tell the other disciples. And this is where our passage today, John chapter 20, verse 3, picks up. Let me read this to you. So Peter and the other disciple, that's John, started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in on the strips of linen, the burial clothes lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, John, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and he believed. Interesting. 
I have been haunted by this passage this week, and here's why. John gives an inordinate, an extremely unusual amount of attention to one precise detail. Did I highlight it for you? Did you catch the detail? He mentions no less than three times Three times the grave clothes that Jesus was wrapped in that were left in this tomb. Now, why would John waste such precious holy space for this seemingly minute detail? What is he wanting us to see here? Well, that's what I want to explore with you with the time we have remaining. I want to walk through each of these three mentions of the grave clothes, the linens, because I think there are three things that these grave clothes signify Three things that they kind of teach us about the significance of this empty tomb. So note takers, we're going to have three points here if you would want to track along with me. Point number one is this. First thing, we ready? First thing the grave clothes represent is this. The grave clothes are a whisper. They whisper that the story is not yet over. God's work is not yet done. You know, it's kind of funny if you think about this. Uh, Jesus did not have to leave these grave clothes behind, did he? I mean, he could have done anything he wanted with the grave clothes. He's Jesus, right? He, he, could, have, he could have just, I don't know, taken them with him. He, he could have, you know, genie blinked them into the black. Uh, that's dating me, isn't it? Y'all remember genie blink? All right, old people, yes. Genie blinked them into that black hole we photoed last. He could have zapped them and turned them into hippie Jesus. He could have done anything he wanted. But he chose to leave them behind, almost in this kind of playful way, almost like a hint, like a whisper to John. Psst, John, John, the story's not yet over. My work is not yet done. And we see this hint in the text. Remember, John was the first one to reach the tomb. He outran Peter, which is kind of funny because John's writing this gospel. He wants everyone to know the dude was faster than Peter, right? He probably couldn't win anything else against Peter, but he's going to let you know he's faster. But when John gets there, notice this. He doesn't go in immediately. I mean, can you imagine? He, he's wasted the energy to get to the tomb first, but then he stops right at the door. And we're told this. In fact, verse 5, look at this with me. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but he did not go in. How peculiar. Why this hesitation? Why not just rush in? Well, what I want to suggest this morning is the reason I think John holds back, the reason he's hesitant is because the death of Jesus for John is not just historical. It is deeply, deeply, deeply personal. And deeply painful. Remember, John was the youngest of the 12 disciples that Jesus chose. Uh, he and his brother, they were the sons of thunder. Moms, imagine trying to raise those two boys. He was incredibly close to Jesus, right? Maybe the closest. In fact, in the last few moments of Jesus' life, we have this remarkable scene where Jesus is dying on the cross. And in some of his very last words, he looks down at Mary. And he's, I'm, excuse me, down at Mary and John. He says, John... I need you to take care of my mom when I die. Can you imagine how intimate? When John lost Jesus, he did not simply lose a rabbi. He did not simply lose his teacher. He lost his best friend. Now, I don't know exactly why John didn't rush into the tomb. I'm, I'm imagining a little bit here. But I imagine that it had something to do with this loss, this crushed heart. John had hoped in Jesus. 
Jesus was his hope. And then all of a sudden, Jesus died. And when you've hoped and then experienced the loss of hope, finding the courage to hope again, my friends, sometimes that is next to impossible. But I think this is exactly where John is at. He's afraid to hope again. But then he's standing there. And he peeks in. And it's almost like he can hear the whisper of God through these grave clothes. John. John, I know you think the story's over. John, I know you think hope has died. But this story is not yet over. John, your story is not yet over, John. My work in you, John, is not yet done. Because the grave clothes whisper to us that when it seems like death has won, God is not yet done. And I want to pause here for a minute for a moment of reflection, the first of our three reflection questions. Where in your life have you hoped and lost? Where have you hoped and lost? Because we've all experienced that loss, haven't we? We all have. I was thinking about some friends. I've been praying for you all this week uh, just in preparation for today, and I, my heart has just felt so heavy. I, uh, because if I'm honest, you know, 2018 was not such a great year for a lot of people in my life. Uh, I have a lot of friends who, who, who hoped and lost. I have a, a dear friend who, who lost, uh, lost his job, lost his career, uh, still wondering, God, where, where are you at in this? Like, what are you doing? Uh, have many, many friends, many of you who've lost and buried loved ones in 2018. It's been a year of loss, lost hope, lost hope for healing or a better diagnosis. I actually have a very close friend who, uh, after two years of hoping that God might heal a broken marriage, uh, finally got the papers. Loss of hope, death of a dream. And some friends, uh, very close friends, who uh, have been hoping for a baby. And they said every month, every month, the news over and over again, it's like we die, that, the death of that dream, over and over again. We've all experienced loss of hope. In fact, I need to pause here. I don't have this in my notes, and I'm, I'm sorry for the sobriety of this, but it feels like we can't neglect it. Some of you will be aware. I just got this news in between services. But some churches in Sri Lanka that were attacked this morning, uh, death toll is climbing. How horrific. How, how unspeakable. The violence done on this holiest of Sundays to people as they're worshiping. God, where are you? This Easter, I want to suggest that when it seems like death has won, God is not yet done. And what if, what if in the midst of that loss, we can yet hear him whispering to us? The story's not yet over. The first thing the grave clothes teach us is that God's story is not yet done. The second thing builds on it, and it is this. The grave clothes are a kind of evidence, a kind of real and physical ev uh, evidence of a physical resurrection. 
Now, I mentioned this before. You might be sitting here this morning and be like, you know what, Aaron? I'm just not sure about this whole resurrection thing. I mean, I want to believe it, but it just seems kind of, I'm not sure. And if that's you, you've got questions, you've got doubts. Listen, I want to applaud your intellectual questioning. Because here at Lake Forest, we believe God has given us our minds for a purpose. He calls us and wants us to be thinking Christians, not simply emotional people stirred by a good pep rally. And that's why at Easter, one of the things I like to do for myself and for us as a church is to review the evidence that builds the case for why the resurrection is not only plausible, but highly likely. And the evidence is amazing. I mean, from the hundreds of eyewitnesses to the explosive growth of Christianity in the ancient world to the simple fact that every last one of the disciples would give their own life for their belief in this resurrection. And the grave clothes are part of this compelling evidence. Uh, Remember, Jesus did not have to leave them there, right? We already talked about this, but he did as as a kind of evidence. It's kind of like this. It's kind of like CSI Jerusalem edition, right? CSI fans, here we go. When Peter enters the tomb, uh, the small cave cut out of the rock, there are all kinds of clues everywhere, and the evidence is quite striking. Look with me at verse 6. Peter entered the tomb, and he saw the linen wrappings lying there, And the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Now, remember, the face cloth was not this little napkin. It was a very long uh, bandage, like an ace bandage. In fact, there's an internet legend that's been going around for a couple years. Maybe you've seen it uh, about how Jesus folds this little face napkin and it symbolizes he's done with the meal and he's coming back. And I love that. It makes for a great story. I wish it were true. It just doesn't square up with scripture. Uh, So a little public service announcement. Uh, If it's on the internet, that doesn't mean it's true. Okay, just in case you didn't know that. Um, In reality, in reality. This headpiece was very, very long. It was the most expensive piece of cloth used in the burial process. Single piece wrapped around his head like an ace bandage. When Peter finds it, this is what's really interesting. The bandage is still neatly rolled, or in the original language, it can also mean wrapped in its place, which means one of two things, my CSI amigos. It either means, one, get this, that the wrappings somehow held in place as Jesus' body mysteriously just somehow transcended through them or passed through them out, and they just kind of collapsed in place, like a Christmas present wrapped in paper with no box. You get a picture of that? Or, secondly, my CSI amigos, it could mean this, that Jesus himself unrolled it slowly the same way you would roll, re-roll an ace bandage as you take it off your knee. Now, why does all this CSI mumbo-jumbo matter? Here's why it matters. Watch this. The religious leaders who opposed Jesus wanted to snuff out this movement. So they put forth two theories. The first is known as the swooning theory. They said, hey, hey, here's what happened. Maybe Jesus didn't die uh, maybe he just kind of swooned and, and kind of passed out, or maybe maybe went to sleep, and then three days later, he woke up. Maybe you've heard that. Now, I have teenagers, and they can sleep, 
But even three days would be a lot for even a teenager, right? Uh, But here's the thing. How could Jesus have even breathed? Remember, this is hordes of cloth around holding 75 pounds of spices and linens. You didn't simply wake up the next day after a crucifixion and uh, go to Bojangles for breakfast. That's not how it worked. To think that he would have even had the strength to get out of that and push away the stone fails to take seriously the brutality of the cross. Most people rejected this theory outright very, from the very beginning. But the second theory got a little bit of traction. Yet at close examination, I'm not sure it lines up either. The second theory the religious leaders spread was the rumor that Jesus or some other grave robbers, excuse me, Jesus' disciples or some other grave robbers simply stole the body. Now, even if this was possible, somehow sneaking around the armed guards and rolling the stone away without them noticing, no grave robber in his right mind is going to take the time to unwrap the stinky decomposing body and carry it out of there to some other secret undisclosed location. If you're going to steal a body, you just take it as it is. You're not going to take the time to roll up the linen and arrange it so neatly. And besides, remember, All of these guys gave their life for the belief in the resurrection. Why would they have done so if it was a fabricated lie? It just doesn't add up. No, uh, on closer examination, amigos, the evidence points in quite a different direction. It suggests the most provocative of all possible conclusions, that Jesus really did rise from the grave. You see, Jesus' enemies could not hold him down. The tomb could not hold him down. Grave clothes could not hold him down. And death itself could not hold him down. Jesus didn't narrowly escape death. Jesus conquered death. He did what your brother used to do to you. He put death in a half Nelson and he made it cry uncle. And if we weren't a bunch of Presbyterians about now, somebody would shout hallelujah, right? Why did Jesus leave this evidence behind? One reason. Because he wants you and me to be confident of this, that he really is risen from the grave. That's the only reason he left them behind. Jesus defeated death. And because of this, we can have confidence that we will conquer, excuse me, that he will conquer our death too. Listen to how Romans puts it. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you might just be lucky enough, maybe just maybe if you roll the dice, get saved. No. You will be saved. You will be saved. Because death has been arrested. And our death has been arrested. Which begs the question, saved from what? Well, save from death itself. If we will trust, if we will believe the gift of God, the free gift of God because of the grace of Jesus is the gift of eternal life. And in fact, before we leave today, I'm going to give you an opportunity to receive just that if you would like to do so today. Now, before we finish this point, why would I use the word evidence instead of proof? Why not just use proof, proof, proof? This is 100% fail proof. Well, because there is no way that I can prove anything to you. I can't make you believe in God or the resurrection. I can simply present you the evidence. 
you must make the conclusion. So reflection question number two. What do you believe about this evidence? Were John and Peter just making this stuff up? Or is it possible that this man, Jesus, who said that he came from the Father in heaven to give his life as a ransom for many, is it possible that Jesus really is who he says he is? Is it possible that he really did rise from the grave? What do you believe? The grave clothes are a whisper. The grave clothes are evidence. Third and finally, the grave clothes are a kind of invitation. Now, I don't know about you. I was thinking about in my life, there are a lot of kind of significant invitations I've gotten to be a part of. Uh, Perhaps one of the most significant was when I invited Mary Robin, actually 20 years ago next week, 20 years ago next week, I proposed her 20 years ago and asked her to be my wife. Now, back in my day, when you got married, uh, when I was five, uh, we... um, we, we, it was really simple, right? You just went to the store, you got a ring. Guys, you remember this? You went to the park, you got down on your knee. That was it, right? That, you were done. It was really simple. Today, oh my word. It's like a Disneyland worldwide Instagram live stream mega event. And if you don't capture it on film, you are in trouble, my friend, right? In fact, by today's standards, like some of us in our 40s, 50s, we probably ought to go back and just repropose. Our proposals were so lame the first time, right? Well, in case you want a little bit of tips on how to do the proposal right by today's standards, take a look at this. Have a look at this. I can't believe it. Madison Marie, will you marry me? Oh, babe. You hired a photographer, right? Yeah. Yeah, he's right. Yeah. I'm so sorry. Do you mind actually coming a little bit closer? I just, I don't know if it's going to share that well. If it's a straight far back. Madison Marie. Cut. Sorry, I don't like my middle name. Uh, can I take a look at that? I just want to see if it's... I wanted this to be a surprise, but at least you could have given me a hint. Madison Marie. I'm already wearing it. Oh, wait, all right, take it. Okay. Give me the ring back and then we'll start from the top. It's going to be bigger, right? Can you Photoshop that? Say it a little bit more like you believe in it. Like do it. How would I say it? Marrying you would be hashtag relationship goal. Who says that? You will! <laughs> Rolling! Madison's engagement. Take 43. Babe, it's so beautiful. Yeah. Look at all these likes. <laughs> I am so glad I don't have to propose today. Man, I'll tell you what. I made a joke about millennials, and then I had someone uh, in their 50s come up to me from the first service and said, they just got engaged last week, and and she made them hire a photographer. So I said, okay, fair enough. Fair enough. So whatever age you're getting proposed at these days, uh, it is a a lot at stake. But see, Jesus' grave clothes are a kind of proposal. They're a kind of invitation to you and me an invitation to follow him in whatever comes on the other side of this grave. Remember, John is hanging out outside of the tomb. He hasn't yet gone in. He's been hanging back, holding, uncertain of whether he wants to take another step, but then something in him compels him. Whether it was the whisper in his heart, or maybe the evidence of the grave clothes themselves, or maybe the combination of all the above, something stirs him. He finally comes in. Look with me at the very next verse. Finally. At last, 
The other disciple, John, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and he believed. What was it that John believed in that moment? I think it was simply this. John believed Jesus. Remember the words that Jesus spoke to them earlier? I think John recalled these words from Mark 8. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days, what? Rise again. See, Jesus had promised that he would die, but that three days later, God would raise him up. And all of that had come true. I think in that moment, John remembered those words. He saw the great clothes and he realized that the empty tomb demonstrated that everything Jesus had been saying to them was in fact true. That's kind of funny. Near the end of John's life, he becomes a very old man. He's, he's known as the grandfather of the first century church. And John sits down to write his historical account of Jesus' life. We have it as the Gospel of John. And he would remember of all the moments of his life, he would remember this moment as the defining moment in his life. The moment when he took the first step of following and trusting Jesus. Now, sure, there were lots of other steps that would come, right? John would face many challenges. In fact, he and Mary would flee Jerusalem and go to Ephesus just to try to avoid the persecution John had many steps of obedience, but there was no more significant step in John's life than this first step. It became the defining moment of his life, and it changed everything for him. You see, the invitation to follow and to believe, like John did, is the invitation to trust Jesus with your whole heart, to acknowledge your need for his grace and forgiveness, and to follow him as the leader of your life on his mission to love this world, to be a part of doing good in this world, in Jesus' name. And I want to ask you, third reflection question this morning, have you ever taken that step? Have you ever said to Jesus, Jesus, I, I want to make you the leader of my life? Have you ever decided to say yes to his invitation? I was thinking about that this morning, and I still remember that defining moment for me. I, I knew next to nothing about the scriptures, but I had become convinced, not perfectly convinced. I still had questions. I still had doubts, but I had become sufficiently convinced that this Jesus was who he said he was and that he was worth my trust and my following. And so I remember praying. I said, God, I don't know how this works, but, but I want to become one of your followers. Will you help me do that? And I took a step. And it has changed every last part of my life for good. Now, the good news is to take this step, you don't have to have answers to every question. You don't have to believe perfectly. Did you know that? In fact, the Bible says all you need is about this much faith, just enough to fill a tiny little seed, just enough faith to take your first step. And what if this morning, God is whispering to you, your story's not yet over. My work in your life is not yet done. I imagine this morning there might be two responses. Uh, for many of us, uh, we would say, hey, I've taken that step. I'm a Christian. I've been trying to follow you. Maybe I haven't been doing it all that well, or maybe I've been just 
sucking at it terribly. Right? Maybe 2018 was a year we'd like to erase. But it doesn't matter. His mercies are new every morning. What if today you responded to Jesus' invitation and said, Jesus, today, in 2019, as I move forward, I want to recommit to making you the leader of my life. Will you help me to follow you? If that's you, in just a minute, I'm going to invite you to pray this prayer with me. But others of us, maybe you've never taken that step. Maybe you've never considered. You've, you've gone to church and maybe you've kind of done the Christianity, but you've never really said to Jesus, Jesus, I want you to be the leader of my life. Jesus, I acknowledge my need for your grace and forgiveness. And I want you to be the leader of my life. Would you help me to do that? And if you've never done that and you're ready to do that today, it's very simple. You can just pray this prayer with me. So whether you're a Christian recommitting to follow Jesus in 2019, or you're ready to take that step for the first time, could we all pray this prayer together? 